Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Yeah, so we're going to dive in. We uh, started last week on Matthew, uh, the longest gospel, uh, also the most uh, influential gospel, also the most referenced gospel in church history, and we're diving in. We're going to cover 28 chapters in six weeks. So, um, yeah, so hopefully you guys uh, have your seatbelts on. We're going to dive in. But just to kind of catch you up, where we're at with Matthew, through the eyes of Matthew, Jesus is rewriting the story of Israel by fulfilling where they failed and bringing God's awaited promise of God restoring his people to be a blessing to the nations. So the first few chapters, Matthew is paralleling Jesus' life with Moses and demonstrating that one greater than Moses has come, uh, the Messiah, God with us. And he equates Moses' story with Jesus right off the bat. Uh, so out of Egypt comes Moses, into the, crosses the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, and then they get God's law from the mountain. In the same way, Jesus comes out of Egypt, he gets baptized in the Jordan, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, where we're going to pick up today, he is on a hill giving a new law. And um, it's, it's pretty cool when you see kind of the, uh, the parallels that Matthew is trying to bring to the table, bring to light, because his audience is not non-Jewish people. His audience is Jewish people. They're very familiar with the Jewish story. They know that it's unf- unfulfilled. They're, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. And here comes Jesus And we're going to dive into one of uh, Jesus' most famous sermons. It's called Sermon on the Mount, or uh, you could call it any of it, but that's kind of the popular title. But it's a message he brought everywhere. And the good news of the kingdom of God. It was the good news of the kingdom that he brought with him. Matthew is suggesting that Jesus brought a total reorganization of the Torah, of the law. And that kingdom has arrived And that God's rescue operation is now on the field. They were on the sidelines. Now God's rescue operation is at play. The Israelites expected from their scriptures and the prophets that the Messiah would come and confront evil, restore God's reign over the world, and create a new family with new hearts to live under the reign of the king. But what kind of kingdom is he bringing? What does it mean to live under the rule and reign of God? Now, Matthew uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and it's very easy for us to kind of project that into the future. But what Jesus did is that he brought heaven to earth. He pulled the future into the present and says, it is now here. And so what Jesus flowers out before us in chapter 5 through 7 is he's articulating what his kingdom is all about. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we get the privilege of just diving into your scripture today. God, I pray that no matter what we've known about you, God, that we could see these scriptures fresh, 
God, that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we're all in different places with you. God, you know right where we're at. Father, I pray that you would speak right to our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Matthew 5, 1. Here we go. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He took a deep breath and began teaching. Verse 3. Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for the mourners. You're going to be comforted. Wonderful news for the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. Wonderful news for people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Wonderful news for the merciful. You'll receive mercy yourselves. Wonderful news for the pure in heart. You will see God. Wonderful news for the peacemakers. You'll be called God's children. Wonderful news for people who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Wonderful news for you. When people slander you and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you falsely because of me, celebrate and rejoice. There's a great reward for you in heaven. Interesting, we've heard that in maybe a different way. We've heard that word blessed. Blessed are you, and sometimes we have a, whatever kind of religious upbringing you have, a lot of times this, this word blessed is kind of this ambiguous term. It might mean good feelings, might mean in some churches financial prosperity. Uh, it could be a lot of different things of what it means to be blessed, but really that word blessed is there's wonderful news. There's a proclamation of God's good news that Jesus came to bring. He's announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing a new era for God's people and God's world. And from here on, all the controls people thought they knew about are going to work the other way around. Many years ago, there was a dramatic movie called The Right Stuff. Who's seen The Right Stuff? It's an old one. Yeah, all the old people in the room. Anyway, um, it was in the 80s. But anyway... um, And it was about the first test pilots that were going to break the sound barrier. No plane had ever flown faster than the speed of sound. Many people didn't believe it was possible. In the movie, various pilots took their planes over the magic figure of 735 miles per hour, only to have their plane disintegrate or crash. The controls, it seemed, refused to work properly once the plane came to the sound barrier. Finally, at the climax of the movie, another test pilot Chuck Yeager, figured out what to do. It seemed that when the plane broke the sound barrier, the controls began to work backwards. Pulling the stick to make the plane bring its nose up sent it downwards instead. So greatly daring, he flew to the same speed, and at the critical moment, instead of pulling the stick back, he pushed it forwards. That would normally send the plane into a dive, but his hunch had been correct. The nose came up, The plane flew on fast and free, faster than anyone had traveled before. In our world, many people think that wonderful news consists of success, wealth, long life, or victory in battle. But Jesus is offering wonderful news, not to them, 
But this good news is for the humble, the merciful, the mourners, and the peacemakers. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas says this about the Beatitudes, what we just read. Too often these characteristics of these blessings have in Christian history turned into ideals or virtues that must be striven to attain. When we, when we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, these are descriptions of the kinds of people whom Jesus is, has, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus say we must try to be poor in spirit or mourn all the time or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. Powerful. Powerful. When we think of uh, the, the, the character of God, when we think about who He is, we wouldn't want to serve a God that was anything but like that. He didn't come for the elite. He came for the sick. He came for the marginalized. God is acting in and through Jesus to turn the world upside down, to turn Israel upside down, and to pour out lavish blessings or wonderful news on all who turn to him and accept the new things that he's doing. Another theologian, N.T. Wright, says, the life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. And those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this kingdom rule here and now. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes in particular. They are a summons to live in the present in a way that will make sense in God's promised future because that future has arrived in the present in Jesus and Nazareth. It may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that it is, in fact, the right way up. So here is he's announcing this wonderful news to the marginalized, and then he announces that he came not to destroy the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And then he goes on and he raises the bar on the law and leads us into relationship uh, later on in, in Chapter 5, he says, you've heard it said, in verse 21, it's not up there, you shall not murder, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And all the, everyone around, his whole entire audience knew that that was the codified law for Moses, that was the word of God, that was the covenant God established. He's, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, and here he begins to bring a new law, not one of rules and regulations, but it gets down into the very heart of who we are. And he says, if anyone of you is angry with his brother, is guilty of the same. If you are offering a sacrifice and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go reconcile with him, Jesus said. Meaning that, if there's anger smoldering inside of you, Jesus says you are becoming less human. And what's really interesting here 
is that the fact that relational reconciliation takes precedence even over worship. Wow. He goes on. And then he moves on to adultery. That's sex with anyone that's not your spouse. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. Wow. That's like, man, I thought I was good with the adultery business, but then Jesus raises the bar on that and almost includes everyone. If your eye, and he goes on, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. What does that mean? It's deliberate exaggeration, meaning take this seriously, the first sign of lust. Take care of it. He's getting down into the heart that this isn't about following a law. It's about being led into a relationship that Jesus opens up for us to have a relationship with our Father who created us. Then in Matthew 5, 38, Jesus teaches people how to love even those who want to do harm. Verse 38 says, You've heard the law that, it, that says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, in all these ways, demonstrate that you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. It's interesting, just to kind of break this up a little bit. He says, hitting back only keeps evil in circulation. Offering the other cheek implies this. You may hit me as your inferior the first time, but if I turn my other cheek, it means you can now hit me as your equal. Or suppose you're in a courtroom where a powerful enemy is suing you, perhaps maybe non-payment of some large debt, and he wants the shirt off your back. You can't win, but you can show him what he's really doing. Give him your cloak as well. And in a world where most people only wore two garments, you shame him with your impoverished nakedness. You're pouring it on to demonstrate this is what you're actually doing. And in Jesus' third example, Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers had the right to force civilians to carry their equipment for one mile, but the law was quite strict. It forbade them to make someone go more than that. Turn the tables on them, Jesus says. Copy your generous God. Go the second mile and astonish the soldier with news that there's a different way to be human and win God's kind of victory over violence and injustice. So whatever situation you're in, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I need to think through it ourselves and ask, what would it mean to reflect God's generous love despite the pressure and provocation, despite your own anger and frustration? How would a generous, loving God respond 
to my enemy. Impossible? <laughs> well, yeah, at one level, it is. But that's maybe the point. But again, Jesus Jesus's teaching isn't just good advice, it's good news because Jesus did it all for us. He did it himself and he opened up the way of being human so that all who follow him can discover it. This sermon is not just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. He even teaches them how to pray. And he leads off this prayer. The disciples are like, all right, Jesus, man, you got the goods. Man, where there's something about when you talk about God or God is your father, it's as if that's true and there's these words of life. And so they, they ask Jesus, Jesus, how should we pray? How should we pray? You know, like, what's the formula, right? What's the, what's the formula? That's sometimes our natural reaction. God, give us a formula so we can just obey the law or the rule of it, yet our heart could be absent. And he leads off and he says, Our Father, which puts automatically all Jesus' disciples in a heart posture is, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of our Father. It's amazing, the language he uses. He is the living God who dwells in heaven and longs to see his sovereign and saving rule come to birth on earth. This is, in fact, a prayer for the kingdom of God to become fully present, not for God's people to be snatched away from earth to heaven, which is based upon three scriptures in all the New Testament, but for the glory and beauty of heaven to be turned into earthly reality in the here and now. And he goes on with this theme of not worrying about uh, your food, what, what, how God's, God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. And chapter 6, 33 says, make the kingdom of God your primary concern, and God will take care of everything else. It doesn't say, make sure that you're perfect, and then God will take care of everything else. He doesn't say, make sure that you're real religious and use Christianese out, you know, just to prove to everybody that you know Jesus. No, he says, it's about seeking God's kingdom in the here and now, that we can be participants. I don't know why God chose to use human beings to express his will on the earth. That confounds me. That just absolutely confounds me, not only because I know I've let myself down, but I've let a lot of other people down in that process, and I say, God, why would you allow, why would you do this? And then he goes on and he says, ask, seek, knock. This picture of us coming to him in prayer, ask, seek, knock. And when you read, and so I'm just giving you this overarching view from chapter 5 through 7, and it's my heart that you would just dive into the scriptures yourselves this week, that you would read Jesus' quintessential sermon, and that, I mean, it's thick, so we're, we're, we're going really fast here, but ask, seek, knock. When, it, when, when you come to that place, 
Jesus gives a promise to you. And it's a, he says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Now, just like a parent would, you know, would it be a good parent if, if I gave my son everything he asked for? <laughs> no, he would be a monster, wouldn't he? I mean, just expecting, man, I'm just going to, well, God's in the same way. So um, one of my boys, when he was nine, asked God for something. I don't know what it is. He hasn't told me. But God didn't answer his prayer, and his heart shut down. A lot of times when we ask God for things, we expect him to fulfill it on our, with our expectation or our timeline or in our way. But are you God? No. And we have to trust that, okay, God, you're a good father. Life hasn't happened the way I imagined it to happen. And the older you get, the more real that statement becomes. But it is in this process, in this journey of faith and clarity or mystery and confusion, God, in this process, I'm leaning into you because I'm trusting you that you're a good father and that you're going to take care of your son or that you're going to take care of your daughter. Dive into this. See that Jesus is not just about outward behavior and behavior modification, but he's trying to get into the heart of people to say, in order for you to become a disciple, I need to make your heart brand new. And so, to land this morning, I want to look at this last part of Jesus' teaching, and it becomes very clear says, so then, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Can you slide it forward? That'd be great. says, so then, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Heavy rain fell, floods rose up, and winds blew and beat on that house. It didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Heavy rain fell, floods rose up, the winds blew and battered the house, and it fell. And it fell with a great crash. I myself have been in that crash. You may have also in that what we're building our life upon, if it's upon sand, it will fall and it will crumble. And he says, and so it was when Jesus finished these words that the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And this phrase repeats itself four more times in these five sections of Matthew because he's trying to re-articulate the new covenant Jesus came to make with his people. So, look at your life. Not just your intentions about what you want to do one day, but look at your present life. Are, have you built your life on the rock 
of Jesus? Or are you building your life on the sand of the world? Or are you trying to do both? A lot of us try to do both. The fact is, is that if any part of your foundation is upon sand, it will crumble. And any architect or engineer will know if the foundation is off, you can build a hundred stories high, but you still, in order to fix the foundation, you have to tear the building down and restart again. A brand new foundation. And so as we live life, a lot of times things and circumstances can kind of clue us into, are we building our life on the right foundation? Are we, are we actually sowing seed into God's kingdom and pursuing about following Jesus and journeying with Him and learning how to love God more and learning how to love people better with God's kind of love? Or are we wrapped up in our own drama? wrapped up in our own need to get acceptance or approval or likes from others. When we look beyond, when, when we, we see everyone's front stage, but not many people see our backstage. How's your backstage? I know a lot of great, talented people that can put on a great show on the front. Do you live to be in the kingdom and live to reflect that kingdom? Or do you reflect living for the world and all that it has to offer? If Jesus is right about what it means to be a human being, what if Jesus was right about what it means to be a human being? And we are the ones who have weird, screwed-up ways. And that's, what's lead, well, that's what leads to all the stupid, hurtful, and harmful decisions we make. We have to see that Jesus came to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And that when we wrestle control back and we want to be our own captain. What's interesting is even though we think that we're doing that, we are serving something. You serve something. We naturally worship something. God made us to be worshipers. So if it's not God, what is it? Success? Finally getting married? What's your idol that you are trying to worship in, in hopes that once I get that, I will feel whole? Once I get that, I'll feel safe. I'll feel saved. But I tell you, there's more rich people that I know that are depressed because they, they finally have the resource that they've always dreamed of having and yet they get and get and get and they think more. Oh, I get to gotta get the new thing. I gotta get the new boat. I gotta get, my dad had a friend that, that kind of lived like this and he was a very well-off guy probably made 600 a year, 600,000 a year. And he always had to have the newest toy. He always needed the, the freshest. He always leased his vehicle, so every, his car was always three years old. Uh, he had the f- newest phone, the newest VCR back in the day, newest CD player. Remember when CD players came out, everybody? 
Oh, man, you guys are so young. But anyway, man, when the CD player came out, man, that was so cool. Even though uh, you didn't have to keep your cassette tapes, but man, if that thing got bumped, your little Walkman got bumped. Man. I don't even know where I was going. Oh, my friend, my dad's... Sorry, it just brought me back. Just brought me back. Um, so my dad, my dad um, lived a little differently. My dad gave 10% to charity, gave 10% to himself, didn't even touch it. It's every paycheck. Where it lived off 80%. Dad retired when he was 65. My dad's friend couldn't retire until he was 80 seven years old and still in debt. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Jesus' ways work. But what Jesus is after is he's trying to form a new people. Not people that have just merely prayed a prayer or made a decision. That is... I want to wait before I say this. You could argue that that's not even biblical. What Jesus was calling was for people to follow him, to be a disciple of Jesus, in that we look at Jesus and we say, I want to live after him. I see God's character. I want that character. I see how Jesus treats people. I want to treat people the same way. I need to, and, 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 and helping birth and expand and grow God's kingdom. Jesus doing that through our lives. We don't grow God's kingdom. Jesus does. But does he have the reins? Does he have actually control? What's odd, the person uh, that is actually trying to straddle the fence is actually the worst off. Because they have an expectation that something great's going to happen, but yet their heart affections are still in the world. And they live in this constant sea of chaos. And they say, God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? Do this. Get off the fence. Jesus said in Revelation, God said, I'd rather have you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're adulterating and tainting the kingdom message for the world. Now we're all messed up to a certain degree. You have all kind of idiosyncrasies and weirdnesses that Jesus sometimes is pleased by and others, he's like, yeah, we're going to change that. Uh, so it's not like we're going to be this perfect expression of the kingdom. But I will tell you, a community who all has different personalities and characteristics and reflections of who God is, a community who walks with unity, can come together and reflect who Jesus is more fully. So are you building your life on the rock? Or are you building your life on sand? It's my hope that as you dive into these scriptures of Jesus, let this be a prayer. God, open my eyes to you like I've never seen you before. God, let me see things about you that I've never read or understood. But God, help me with understanding. Because this thing isn't about 
looking the part or acting the part or just getting a, a good word on Sunday and then just kind of going home and feeling good. He's asking you, are you a disciple? Because those are the people that Jesus says, I know you. Um, I'm going to go back. Uh, in Matthew 7, if you pull out your Bible, Matthew 7, just before this, Jesus shares this. It says, Not all people who sound religious are truly godly. This is verse 21. 721. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On Judgment Day, many people will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away, the things you did were unauthorized. Imagine the heartbreak of being on Judgment Day and you're thinking, man, I've lived this straddled life for so long, I've gotten away with it. Man, I fooled a lot of people. I may have even fooled myself. But when Jesus, when we meet Jesus face to face, the primary thing is, do you know him? Not do you know about him, not do you know... You know I, I know my preacher's first name when I grew up, man. He, he's my ticket. No, it's all you. And he says the decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. So when Jesus raises the bar on the law about anger, about lust, about hatred towards your enemies, Jesus is going to ask, did you obey what I told you to do. Were you a disciple of my son? Not, oh man, on July 2nd, 1972, man, God, I prayed that prayer. Remember, I was down at that altar, man. I was so hungry. I was crying. I was emotional, man. You saw that. What'd you do since then? Did you just kind of take that ticket to heaven and put that in the back pocket and then still be a jerk? Or did you actually follow Jesus and be a disciple? So my heart is that, again, that you would see Jesus' words as he's trying to demonstrate what, is it, what does it mean for God's heaven to be made earthly reality? And how are we to be as his people in this world to show and demonstrate God's love to others? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just... God, we thank you for your wonderful news. God, that you came to restore human beings to be fully human again, to be made in your image, to reflect who you are. And God, I, we, we all know and can admit, hopefully, that God, we will never be a perfect expression of that. But God, you're wanting to take our heart and make it new and bring us into your kingdom and show us and demonstrate to us what does it mean to love you with all our heart, our mind, 
our soul and strength and to love people in that same way. God, we need you when we, when we see the call that you say, God, we're, none of us are free of sin. God, none of us are free of that. So Father, today I pray that, God, who is it we serve? What do we serve? Who do we serve? Father, I pray that if it's anything but you, God, that you would do some business in our heart, God. Lord, that we would come to you. Father, your message is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So, Father, this, this message of repentance is, God, how do we get from sand to rock? And it's this word called repentance, which means I'm going in one direction, and with a change of mind and heart, I turn around and go the other way. So, Father, if there's any idol in our life that we are serving, that we are bowing down to, that God, in the, in the dark hours when we're feeling lonely, God, the things that we turn to to comfort us, to give us pleasure, Father, I pray that you would shine a light on that in our life, and may we be your people free of that, free of idols. And God, that we're free to worship you in the kingdom of God. So if, you, if anything else other than Jesus came to mind, any desire, any person or thing that you turn to for comfort, just repent. It is trying to destroy your life. It is making you numb. It is making you clueless. It is making you confused. So why do you keep worshiping it? Because we like it. So Father, I pray that today, God, we would place that at the foot of your cross to say, God, we repent of falling into agreement with that lie, with that idol, in the name of Jesus. God, we don't want to live under worshiping anything but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that we would, from this day on, just leave that at the foot of your cross for you to do business with it. God, teach us a new way. God, teach us your kingdom way and kingdom covenant behavior as your sons and daughters of God. Father, teach us. May we leave that old life behind. And Father, help us build our life every day on the rock of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God with us, who came to bring your kingdom and came to reconcile man back to you, Father. God, we thank you for Jesus that the more we look into his eyes through the scriptures, the more we can see the eyes of a loving Father, maybe a loving Father that we never have had. That we, when we look in your eyes, we see the God that we've been made <laughs> to live and move and have our being. So Lord, we thank you and make us a people. God, make us a people that can demonstrate your kingdom, that can love on the least and the marginalized, the hurting, 
the broken, and the hungry. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in and through us and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy reading Matthew, and we'll see you next Sunday. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.